Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Plan for Life Now, episode number 85. Wow. Dave, we're getting Gosh. close to 100. We are. We are. I'm wondering when we're actually going to do these in person again. <laughs> I was actually not. thinking about saying to you, should we do one in person, but we're just not there yet. Still got to get your kids uh, back. Your kids are back. Are your kids my vaccinated? They got their, <laughs> they got their first shots. Well, my oldest is fully vaccinated, but right. my, my younger two, they got their first shots on Sunday. Excellent. Uh, so I think How does it work for be, young kids? Is it a two-shot regime similar to the other one with less dose? Yeah, or what? I think it's one-third of the dose and still a two-shot regime three weeks apart. So they'll get their second one right after Thanksgiving and be fully vaccinated shortly after that. All right. So this is what we've been waiting for. <laughs> and the the biggest deal for, for us, although these you know rules are constantly changing, is once they're fully vaccinated, even if there's an exposure in one of their classes, they don't have to quarantine, you know, as long as they don't have symptoms. That's a big um, deal. That means a steady schedule going forward. Uh, yeah. So, Good. all right, but we want to talk about the the news that's more important for most people out there listening today. Although I don't think too many of our clients have young kids of the age getting vaccinated. They're they're grandchildren, so they're not really their immediate problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the more immediate problem, the more immediate headline, and this one just came out this morning, is inflation. Um, and the headline this morning, 6.2% inflation, um, the highest inflation rate that we've seen since 1990. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit. And in fact, you know, as we were preparing to talk today, Dave, you said, hey, we should talk about inflation. And I said, oh, haven't we talked about inflation enough? Uh, but right. you're right. You know, this is what this is what we're all worried about and concerned about, and it's it's front and center for most investors out there. Absolutely, you know, especially our especially our investors who are many of them are they're all in one two groups. One is they're going to be retiring within the next few years or or whatever. Very few, even more than the next few years, but retirement's on the horizon, or just as importantly, already retired. Right. And living on certainly not the income that they earned when they were working full time. So yeah, I feel like it is a huge issue. And I will throw out, I'll start and then I'll let you go. 
it's interesting that we had the big raise in Social Security, but still not really keeping up with inflation. I, I was just, <laughs> just going to mention that when I said, okay, 6.2. Just to call back a couple weeks ago, uh, Social Security announced a 5.9% increase in inflation or cost of living adjustment, um, which sounded nice at the time. But now you say 6.2 and you go, nah, it's a little bit short. That's not quite keeping pace there. Yeah, but still, if they had done what would seemingly be high at 4% and then this news came out, that would be, that would be a, a bigger problem. But yeah. still, but that's I mean, how intense this inflation is right now. Yeah, and I mean, that is not to digress too long on this, but this is one of those things that we've talked about before is, you know, having a pension or having social security that does have a cost of living adjustment, but just isn't quite the cost of living adjustment that you're actually experiencing or the, the rate of inflation. Um, and this is true with certain federal pensions. You know, we've talked about how the FERS pension, um, it by design, it's set at uh, whatever the CPI is minus 1%. So if you're a person who has social security, Okay, you're lagging behind a little bit. You've got a FERS pension. Well, you're going to lag behind by about 1% there. Um, and that's, that's not a big deal in any one year, but you do that for five or 10 years. Obviously that can start to add up. Right. And here's the anecdotal inflation. So I'm reading these headlines this morning and then my wife does not start with the newspaper. She starts with shopping. So she's like shopping. Um, and she's telling me while we're, She's like looking at, I guess, some winter stuff, sweaters and things. And she's saying, I'm willing to pay good money for a decent sweater. It's just that these sweaters they're charging so much for, they're not decent. <laughs> they're like, and she knows this stuff way better than I do. I'm not an expert at what's even cheap and what's not cheap in the world of shopping for sweaters. But she knows. And that's, that's inflation. Even things that your your basic goods, right. things like getting up in the morning and you know you're doing some internet shopping and you you can't even believe the prices for something that last year were, were so much less, well, really adds up, you know, in your in your actual real world living budget. Well, and that's and that's something I don't have any of this data right in front of me, but I I know I've read this about how, you know, different ways inflation manifests itself. Obviously, the, the obvious one is, you know, it costs you however much to buy a loaf of bread. Now it costs you 6% more. But the other way is in that loaf of bread now, they're including fewer slices. You know, it's a smaller loaf of bread, maybe for the same price. Or take your wife's example. In Julie's case, she's getting a lower quality sweater maybe for the same price or a little bit more so right. i mean those are different sort of secret ways or i shouldn't say secret more subtle ways um that inflation can can manifest itself um so of course just going back to the headline 6.2 percent inflation from the year ago you know, the, the interesting thing to me was sort of the breakdown in where you saw inflation. Um, so you saw fuel oil prices up 12.3%, uh, energy prices. Well, I should say that was how much was reflected 
in inflation. We've talked about this before, about how there are certain categories of inflation that are uh, sort of averaged in over time, you know, and fuel happens to be one of them, where, you know, it says here 59% increase in fuel oil prices over the last year, but they don't include all 59% in one year. They just include that 12.3%. Um, you know, used car prices up 26% over the last year. Um, you know, new car prices up, but not nearly as much. Food prices up, you know, 5.3%, certain categories up almost 12%. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, across the board, we've all felt it. We've all seen it. You know, we, we've certainly seen this much higher inflation. Now, as I was doing some reading on this, preparing for, for this talk here, uh, I read into a, a term that I've, I'd never seen this one before. And Dave, tell me if you've seen this before. Have you seen this comparison of sticky inflation versus flexible inflation? Um, like you, I just read it the last couple of days. Yeah. But. I Honestly, um, you've just read it more recently than I have, but I get the impression that sticky inflation is basically – we had this talk in a different podcast mm-hmm. where I, I think it might have been me. I don't remember which one of us. We were talking about how, okay, these prices have gone up, but they're not like – my. The, I think this was me. I, my theory is they're just not coming down. Okay. I think that's sticky inflation, but I read this several days ago, so update uh-huh. me on that. Well, so the the definition here on sticky inflation includes categories like rent, um, insurance costs, medical expenses. They tend to exhibit longer staying power. So, you know, that that might go along with, you know, if you get a rent increase, they're not going to come back to you the next month and say, yeah, we're going to give you a rent decrease here. Yeah, we we think we're going to change these things down Um, versus the flexible inflation are – typically more commodity-based things, you know, in the example that I was reading here, you know, had to do with lumber and copper and soybeans. Um, so great example, if you remember over the, the summertime, springtime into summertime, everyone was talking about how insane lumber prices were, you know, and, right. and some our next door neighbors, they moved a couple streets over and they wanted to build a screened in porch on their new house. And, you know, it's just insane how high lumber prices were. Well, as of April, lumber was up 120% from the prior year. You know, just crazy. Now, here we are, end of September, and lumber was, quote-unquote, only up 20% year over year. Right. So, you know, the, the point is that there are certain categories where you're going to see, you know, these, these wild fluctuations in there, um, but they could come down. And then, like you said, you're going to see other categories, you know, like rent or, or, you know, those kind of costs where if they go up, they might not go up as dramatically, but they're not going to come down all of a sudden. Um, you know, it's not like that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I think, so I'm going to shift this to now, what do we do about it? Like, what yeah. do we do about it? I don't know what you out there listening to about it because, you know, a lot of you are our clients. So what are you guys doing about it? I feel like this is, like everything else, COVID-related, an accelerant 
of what was happening anyway, but now in retirement planning. So right. we've always worked on, you and I have a, a basic philosophy that we've had since we started working together on this, however many years ago. Um, and that is income comes first. We got to yeah. deal with your retirement income and make sure you have enough coming in every month and, and that has to grow for inflation. So that's been our premise since we started. No matter what we do, we focus on it. And, you know, quite frankly, in low inflation year, we've had low inflation decades or whatever. Um, okay, people say, yeah, I get it. And people are still concerned about Our clients are still concerned. I'm not telling you people disagreed with us. But now you see sort of why we need to push that because you never know when real inflation was going to happen. Now it's happened. This is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this. It's official. It's happened. And you have to, you have to have enough retirement income. If you err on the side, and this is how I feel like it is going forward. If you err on the side of planning to have too much retirement income, enough guaranteed to come in monthly, that's better than erring on the side of not enough. Oh, absolutely. And, and I 100% agree with you. I, I feel like this, discussion that we've had with clients of, okay, well, we've got to have, you know, this ability to produce this guaranteed income and, and grow this over time. Yeah, they might have kind of nodded their heads and say, oh, yeah, we definitely need to grow that. But frankly, when you're barely touching 2% inflation, that doesn't really feel like a real risk. Yeah, I know conceptually I should worry about that, but inflation's been so low, I'm not too concerned about it. Um, and I mean, just to bring this down even to specifics, you know, when we work with people on structuring annuities and products like that to generate this guaranteed income, you know, we need things that can grow or have some sort of inflation adjustment built into the product so that we can go up. You know, maybe it didn't seem like a big deal if your inflation or if your income stayed flat for the last you know, seven or eight years, but now when inflation starts to kick up and if it's, let's say it's 6% for the next three years, you know, that's certainly possible and that's not by any means catastrophic, but all of a sudden, if your income hasn't gone anywhere, you've fallen behind. Right. Um, and then my other point about this is as we get into this, it's sort of what you're alluding to. Part of this is not... Uh, when it comes to income planning for retirement, it's just not for amateurs. I know people say, I can do it. I can do Why should I pay you guys? You guys would be the entire industry. I'm not just talking about you and me. Why should I pay you guys when I when the market's going up and I could just, you know, do all this myself? Well, one of the reasons you pay professionals to work, uh, to do this work is because carving out an income strategy with your assets and making sure you still have liquidity <laughs> and everything that's involved in that. And then the scope of the products that are out there and picking the right ones for you and administering it the right way, not just when you do it, but as the years go on, is right. not for an amateur. It's just not for people whose profession is not this, which we've always said, you know, there's a difference in clients we work with who have huge pensions. Um, whose income need is non-existent, um, and those pensions are indexed for inflation, versus clients who rely only on, you know, maybe a small pension and Social Security or just Social Security. 
Yeah. Totally, totally different planning outlook and philosophy there. So let, let's have this discussion that everyone <laughs> loves to have about, okay, so we see inflation coming. You know, what are the best hedges against inflation? You know, as I was writing this down, I had to start off by saying, first of all, and if you know our philosophy at all, you know that we hold broadly diversified portfolios and we're not we're not ever attempting to make these big bets on, OK, I think inflation is coming. So we're going to shift all of your assets into X, Y, Z categories. And, I, you know, I might have told this story before I had a client that probably became a client in 2004, 2005, somewhere in that time frame. And I looked at their portfolio coming over from another advisor, and he had all of their money in healthcare stocks, uh, financial stocks, and something else. <laughs> but his basic idea was, okay, baby boomers are getting older. They're going to need more healthcare and they're going to need more you know, banking services or something like that. And he had taken all of their money and sort of bet on this big, broad idea. Right. And maybe he would have been right over a real long time period, but it's, it's, it's risky to bet on any one particular outcome and to go too far in on this idea, even if it is an idea that, I think most people would agree we're going to have a couple years of inflation here. So I want to start with that, that, you know, I don't think that anyone should be taking all their money out of a broadly diversified portfolio and saying, okay, I'm betting on inflation. I'm going to go all in on, on this. This is really where my money needs to be. Now, that said, the common discussion around inflation will start with these couple of assets. Treasury inflation protected securities, commodities, you know, throw in there gold and precious metals and real estate. So, you know, if, if you want to go out and Google, okay, how do I hedge myself against inflation and whatever stock financial articles are out there, they're probably going to mention some form of those things in there. Um, and not without some reason. I mean, those, those things are historically good inflation hedges. Um, but here's here's my problem with a portion of it. First of all, if you take a look at tips right now, and tips, if you don't know, are Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Um, tips are bonds issued by the federal government that will pay higher interest if inflation picks up. So if we had inflation at you know 10%, you know, they're going to pay a much higher interest rate than if inflation is at 2%. And that's great. That obviously is a hedge against inflation. But the problem is that everybody else out there knows this in addition to you knowing this or me knowing this. And the rates of return that you're going to get on these things, if inflation is 6%, you might right now on a five-year tip, you might get maybe one and a half percent rate of return on that. So the problem is that it's, it's already priced in so much. You know, if so if much that's the case, they should change the name of the investment, quite frankly. 
Well, I mean, they are Treasury inflation protected. So, I mean, you can't get any other bond instrument where they're going to pay you a rate of return based on inflation. So it it's a pretty unique investment vehicle in the investment world. Um, but you just <laughs> you have but to not keeping up with inflation. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think of it in terms of, okay, what am I paying for the asset? If people already expect a lot of inflation, they might have bid up these prices higher than than uh, is even reasonable. And, you know, we always have this discussion around commodities. You know, first of all, you can't throw commodities in there just as this lump sum asset. Uh, commodities can be gold. Commodities can be oil, timber. And they can move in drastically different directions, and they can be very, very volatile. You know, just one of my classic talking points is, you know, gold is about twice as risky as investing in stocks when you look at the volatility. So could gold be a good hedge? Yeah, but think of it as the riskiest thing in your portfolio. You know, think of whatever small cap technology stock that you think is really risky, gold is probably riskier than that. Right. Um, so you've got to think of it in those contexts. And this is always the answer when, when people come to us and say, okay, I want to hedge against inflation. What What's the best way for me to hedge against inflation? We've talked about these sort of stock answers. And the data, the statistics tell us that the best hedge against inflation is having stocks in your portfolio. So over the long term, stocks have given you the best inflation-adjusted returns. Now, I took a look at some of this data here that breaks down the returns in stocks by the rates of inflation that we've experienced. This is for U.S. stocks over the past uh, 50 years or so. And basically what it shows us is that you get positive, really good returns in stocks, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 percent, when inflation is anywhere from zero to six percent. When you start to go above those extremes, so you either have negative inflation, you know, basically when we're in a recession, something like that, right. um, or you start to go above six percent, which we're creeping towards, um, or we're actually over that a little bit. That's really where you start to see, okay, you know, we, we have some deterioration in the returns of stocks there. But it's still your best bet compared to any other asset class that's out there. Right. So, Not to mention, even if during the highest inflationary times, maybe your stock portfolio is not doing as well, the portfolio itself is based on money you need for the future. Get out of the highest inflation times, it goes up again, ultimately keeping up. Yeah. With your inflationary need as you start to tap into that money 10 years later. Yep. And I, I know this is not always the most satisfying for people to say, okay, we're maintaining this broadly diversified portfolio. We've got, you know, stepping back from the current situation we're planning for. If the market were to decline, if we have sustained inflation, we've got a good balance between bonds and stocks and real estate You've got a good base of guaranteed income. Um, but those are the things that we can control. You know, I, I can't control if inflation is going to be 6% or 8% or 2%. It, you know, that's beyond our control. 
what we can control is how we're allocated. And, you know, I, I think going too granular on, oh my gosh, we should be in consumer staple products instead of being in cyclical, durable goods and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think there's any real value to that. Yeah. You know what? I kind of look at it as an analogy of a football. <laughs> so we're like the coach and we happen to have a great quarterback, and that great quarterback is a diversified stock portfolio managed the right way over a long period of time. That player for us is like, was like Aaron Rodgers, but now, because no, it's like Tom Brady. So basically, we have Tom Brady, and you need a Tom Brady to be great. So as the coach, what's the best way to utilize that player? for different situations. And that's how we utilize that player for inflation. Right. All right. Good stuff. Uh, hope everybody is staying safe out there, staying healthy. And we will check in again next month. All right.